Okay, welcome to another MEPcast. Today, I have three distinguished guests and we're discussing artificial intelligence in the COVID-19 era, era, sorry, in the COVID-19 era. After the pandemic, what's going on with artificial intelligence? And to discuss this with me today, I have, um, I'm gonna start from Lucila Scioli. Dr. Scioli is the Director for Artificial Intelligence and Digital Industry within the Director General DG Connect of the European Commission. Dr. Scioli, you're in Brussels, correct? Yes? Thank you very much for being with us today. And we have uh, Cecilia Bonnefeld Dahl, I've been doing my best to say that properly, Director General of Digital Europe, which uh, is one of the leading digital technology industry associations, which represents 35,000 digital companies in Europe. Um, Cecilia is with us today because she's also a member of the Commission's high-level expert group on AI, a board member of the European Commission's Digital Skills and Jobs Coalition, a board member of the European Parliament-led European Internet Forum. Thank you very much, Cecilia, for being with us today. Thank you for the invitation. And Mr. Georgios, Dr. Georgios Petropoulos. Uh, Dr. Petropoulos is a research fellow at Bruegel and um, uh, starting in September 2020, a fellow at both MIT and Stanford University. Um, joining us today from Massachusetts, correct, Mr. Petropoulos? Exactly. Nice to be with yes. you. Thank you, George, for being with us. Okay. So, um, as you know, I do these MEPcasts now that we're in this in the COVID era because my constituency is interested in, in following up on what's going on in, in specific areas, artificial intelligence being one that is widely discussed. Um, since the white paper on AI was published in February, uh, June 14th was the deadline for stakeholders to submit feedback to the commission. And, Stakeholders across the board responded to the use call to build this AI framework for the development and deployment of next generation AI technology. So, and they've highlighted various concerns on AI technologies about how you can, um, let's say, balance the risk of abuse of these technologies, ranging from biometric technology to the operation of automated decision-making software, particularly in critical sectors such as healthcare, transport, police, recruitment, and the legal system. And some, some stakeholders in discussions we've had in Parliament have even gone so far as to call for a ban, uh, an outright ban on the use of certain technologies. For example, indiscriminate biometric surveillance software and facial emotion analysis applications. And then on the flip side, you have others who caution against conformity assessments and a burdensome framework for high-risk AI applications because these could be counterproductive and let's say impede the innovation potential and industry development of the union. So um, I would like to, um, to discuss this, these issues with you today and um, focus on both the potential of, of AI and the risks, and mostly because AI is widely discussed on what the um, situation is specifically to deal with the pandemic and what the pandemic has changed in the way that the union approaches um, AI. So I'm gonna, we're gonna do two rounds of discussion 
And I would like to start with the, let's say, the academic or research perspective on this. So I'll start with George Petropoulos from Bruegel. Um, AI is, is, is a complex technology, not something that everybody completely understands. I'm just going to tell you that it, it's often misunderstood or, or even misrepresented. I can tell you that when in, in people's minds, uh, when I ask my constituents about AI, what they think of is um, self-driving cars, robots, and um, AI-powered apps. And what they worry about is that they're going to lose their jobs. I can't state it more simply than that. So I'm wondering if maybe the pandemic has allowed for what I would call a paradigm shift with respect to how people view AI, or if it could lead to a positive paradigm shift uh, with respect to how people see AI. So. I'm going to start with asking all three of you the top three things that the pandemic has done to AI. And to you, Dr. Petropoulos, I would like you to give me, if you can, your perspective on this and three concrete examples of how AI has been used to tackle the COVID-19 pandemic. Please, Mr. Petropoulos. Yes, uh, thank you. I think um, artificial intelligence um, can, in general, play an important role and has an important, uh, it has important implications for our lives, especially if we are looking forward. And the implications for a labor market are expected uh, to be something that uh, will uh, be both a concern, but also an opportunity for the future. Now, uh, related to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, uh, from the beginning of this pandemic crisis, we have seen uh, the development of uh, many applications uh, uh, that uh, they were developed at different contexts uh, and they tried to deal with the pandemic. Some of them were more successful, others were not so successful. Um, I, will, um, I will focus uh, on three of them that I believe that uh, they brought uh, some uh, significant value. Uh, the one has to do with the role of artificial intelligence uh, in medical diagnosis, uh, in detecting uh, people that uh, are infected uh, from the virus. And um, there we had um, the specific uh, computer tomography scans. We had uh, some other methodologies which allow for, uh, allowed for the uh, time-efficient uh, detection of the virus to some of the people that they had suspicions uh, that they were infected. Uh, and we have seen uh, these um, uh, technologies implemented even uh, in uh, a, a larger scale uh, in some particular countries that they have been deeply uh, affected by this pandemic, like in China, um, in Wuhan, for example, uh, who, uh, which was the first uh, epicenter of this. Uh, the second uh, application um, has to do with uh, fighting the vaccine, uh, which is, um, as it has been proven, it, it can be an very important uh, milestone uh, in defeating this pandemic. So uh, analyzing the RNA structure of this virus, uh, artificial intelligence algorithms uh, looked at a very time efficient way at potential ingredients in already existing medicines uh, in uh, uh, medical libraries uh, to find uh, potential candidates uh, which uh, are worth uh, um, examining uh, and uh, they are promising for delivering some results. So uh, that um, accelerated the process of uh, moving to this direction and uh, try to develop medicine and uh, 
um, uh, a vaccine to a great extent. Of course, it's not only identifying these ingredients, uh, there are uh, several steps uh, to follow after that, like the clinical trials uh, that needed to make sure that we have a safe product that is applicable and can help uh, the population. So it will still take some time, but at least at the first phase, AI has been proved to be helpful. Uh, the third dimension has to do uh, with um, uh, assessing uh, associated risks. And there are two different risks uh, I'm talking about. Is the, the risk of mortality. So by uh, uh, introducing to AI system data related to the health condition and background of uh, people infected by uh, AI, that the algorithms uh, were uh, generating uh, some predictions of what is the mortality risk that allowed hospitals to better allocate resources. And secondly, uh, is the infection risk, uh, which again, um, providing some data uh, both on the patient, uh, on, on people, but also on mobility, more general mobility data uh, on uh, the neighborhood in which this person is located, uh, we can assess um, the, the potential, the risk of this person to be infected and act uh, in, uh, accordingly. So we have seen these applications. Um, they will continue being improved in the future. We should not forget that uh, it was a big shock, this pandemic. These uh, applications just started being developed. And uh, I hope um, in case uh, that indeed we'll have a second wave, uh, artificial intelligent technologies will be more ready uh, to react and provide uh, some help. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. So detection, vaccines, and risk assessment with respect to infection and mortality. The, the third one being a very uh, important guide for us policymakers and politicians when making decisions uh, especially about lockdown conditions and trying to balance the, let's say, the public health risk, the um, the the strength of the of the system of the health system that we have versus the economic damage that's done while we implement these measures to protect ourselves from from the vaccine. So these are all definitely positive things, Dr. Shirley. Let me please turn to you. Um, as uh, director at, in DG Connect, you're responsible for um, the European digitization of the industry set strategy and also for policy developments in the area of AI. So what would you say are, um, you, you've, I know that the commission has spearheaded a, a number of projects to fight COVID-19 in general, but could you tell us about the three most successful or the three most important or the your three favorite whatever you want you want to however you want to put it ai or robotics initiatives that have been taken by the commission to um contain the or deal with the covid 19 virus yeah sure so i will start with one which is actually very recent uh, it's the outcome of a of a research project of the european commission and uh, which has basically um, identified a molecule called raloxifene uh, to be very promising, not for a vaccine, but for curing, um, for curing COVID. So, you know, if we, we will not manage to get a vaccine one day, at least we will have some medicines that can cure us if we get sick. So uh, this is one of them. And this one is important because actually this molecule has been identified 
uh, by supercomputer. So the European Commission has uh, made available the possibility to use uh, supercomputers to identify these molecules between uh, among 400,000 molecules. Um, and therefore, the, the mapping of this molecule is very, very promising for curing COVID. Um, this is very important. It was, um, I think, that the, the news was actually shared only a few days ago. And um, it's important because it's a project that uses supercomputers, and of course, supercomputers make simulations. And this has been using artificial intelligence for identifying the molecules. So I think this is very important because. A molecule that is identified among so many molecules means that it has a very high probability of success. And, uh, and this would be a very European success. Secondly, we have been uh, uh, looking at artificial intelligence and the way it can be used in hospitals to um, uh, identify the infection of, uh, of uh, COVID-19. Uh, and in particular, the, the application of artificial intelligence to uh, reading CT scans. So basically, you know that artificial intelligence is very good at reading images. And therefore, in, um, it has been, uh, there are systems that have been trained to be able to uh, read CT scans of lungs and identify whether a person is infected by COVID-19 compared to other pneumonia and also the extent of the infection so that this allowed radiologists to say this person is very seriously infected immediately goes to intensive care or, or otherwise. Um, and we have uh, supported the, the, the use of this artificial intelligence-based technology uh, in a number of hospitals because we wanted to test also to see how the hospitals would react to the introduction of, of a similar technology in a moment of pandemic. Because on the one hand, this technology could help the radiologists because it could read the images very fast compared to what a human being can do. And at the moment of the peaks of the pandemic, that was very important. On the other hand, you're introducing a new technology in a hospital. And it's complicated because there are a lot of rules and a lot of administrative procedures to respect. And this was quite an interesting exercise from this point of view. And uh, thirdly, I mean, we have contributed with, uh, with the JRC to the projections that were also made by Imperial College together with the JRC that, of course, used artificial intelligence. Um, maybe one project uh, I would like to mention that we're working on right now relates to robotics. And we're looking at the disinfection robots and the possibility of supporting European hospitals through disinfection robots. And uh, we are discussing with member states to see whether in the context of an emergency fund we could use these robots and of course also reflecting on whether these robots could be useful not just for hospitals but also for public spaces. If we want to restart economic activity in a train station, in any kind of public space, well, these kind of robots could help. So we are very much reflecting on the possibility of uh, um, you know, introducing these kind of solutions in hospitals and in public spaces in Europe. Thank you, Dr. Shirley. So yes, we, we all want a cure to be found, uh, as a vaccine, we want a vaccine, we want a cure. So finding molecules more quickly is, is wonderful and CT scans, robots, this is, uh, this is a different way of looking at, at AI being, being helpful in the pandemic. Now, I, I turn to you, um, 
Cecilia Dahl, because you, you've had more than 20 years of experience in the ICT industry, having worked for some of the top companies internationally, aside from your roles in, in, um, in Denmark and now in um, your current position, somebody has to make all these, uh, industry has to produce all these, um, these wonderful um, applications and these wonderful robots. And so what about industry's perspective? What would be, let's say, the three most relevant um, AI applications developed on behalf of industry um, in the context? Well, because we've spoken a lot about health, and obviously there's a lot of good things done on health, I, I, I might look at two aspects, both, uh, I mean, the financial recovery and the handling of the financial situation and the logistics, and then, of course, the health. I mean, Sierra mentioned a few things that our members, like Siemens Health and Ears, heavily engaged, for example, in, in the scanning, uh, long scanning uh, AI project and, and, uh, and several other of our members. Um, if you look at you know not only the bigger companies you could turn to for example some of the our unicorns here in europe or for future unicorns as for example the winner of the digital europe uh, unicorn award in 2020 they are basically called corti and they do ai that um, analyzes voice uh, voices um Originally, the, 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 the first innovation that they did is when you call for an ambulance, it can basically listen to your voice and look for any kind of signs of heart, uh, if you are having a heart attack or uh, other uh, common, uh, uh, common diseases. Um, they were basically able to quite quickly move to signs and people voices of corona. And, uh, and detect quite with a very high perfection uh, if this person is in risk of actually having uh, corona through the sounds of how they breathe, how they speak, uh, how they articulate. And actually, I mean, again, uh, you could say there was some good things. Now, finally, it is uh, actually out in a few countries in Europe. But in US, it was out uh, very, very fast um, because there was, I mean, less hesitation on actually getting it to use. Um, so you can say even for our European companies, it's it's been a also, uh, you know, they've been able to to use their current innovations in new ways in this crisis, basically enhancing the health uh, and detection of, uh, of Corona. Another example, of, co of course, the many um, bots, chat box that basically people call and it keeps on asking them questions of signs of how they, uh, how they feel, until it can, uh, you know, really qualify. You know, this you you must seek help, right? So, uh, and at what stage it is. Um, so, really freeing up a, a lot of resources in uh, in the analysis of how serious um, this uh, this case of of corona really uh, is. Um, maybe turning to the financial situation and the more logistical situation, we had also a serious uh, problem basically with getting, amongst others health devices or IT devices or network devices so people could communicate across borders because people were sick, they couldn't travel. Um, and there I want to mention a company called Salonis, uh, which is a, a big European unicorn that basically does IA on supply chain. So all the big uh, supply chain and logistic companies, you know, came to them and say, 
I mean, how do I do this? How can I get capacity? How can I pass through the borders? You know, how do I find transportation for this from go to A to Z? And they were basically able to analyze, uh, you know, what are the most safe routes? How can you do this? You know, what is open? What is not open? Which borders can you pass? And which borders can't you pass? And maybe looking to another example uh, that was Nokia, uh, normally when they are doing their big plants uh, for 5G uh, production, they need to go travel there. They have specialists, you know, really highly educated people. They need to send a squad team in. But of course they couldn't do this, right? So what they do is basically um, using what we call a digital twin to set up networks to, to increase the ca capacity we needed, both for medical surgery, for uh, diagnosis, but also for basically the whole society functioning. And they were able to basically set up these, um, these, uh, these uh, 5G plants uh, basically through a digital twin and machines and robots basically in, you know, installing everything. Um, so I think we've taken a jump, uh, a huge jump in how we think about, um, you know, setting up plans, how to do logistics, but of course, uh, mainly how we think about health. We do uh, honestly still struggle with the fragmentation. I mean, we, uh, we, uh, we see that we have also been slowed down by, uh, still member states having many different approaches towards Corona. So this is, I mean, this is definitely one learning that I think we get the different roles of, of industry, you know, versus regulators. I think that has become much more collaboration. And I think there's much more agreement on let's solve the problems that move in the right direction. Uh, let's work together to basically make a stronger digital Europe instead of, you know, only looking at the risks. And I, I think this was really a, uh, one of the the good uh, the good developments of of this crisis that we became like a team it was more like a teamwork than uh, than uh, than opposing opinions. I'm going to go the other way around and stay with you for Cecilia because um, the the perspective of of you know of industry um, I, I, we had a lot of questions from from um, viewers regarding uh, how this can be how this crisis can be used let's say as an opportunity to fast forward developments in in, in industry in particular and and so i want to ask you in that way when we go around maybe um lucila can respond to this what would you what would be the top thing that you would say um you would want the let's say the european union the commission parliament all of us to do in order to help industry expedite all this um, development in AI after the pandemic? I think there is, um, I mean, a dialogue on basically what were the roadblocks for key companies, for example, like Corti, what did they experience? Because I think there we will find the devil is in the detail in the real world, right? What were, I mean, the problems, why didn't they succeed in getting it out as fast and in other regions? And, you know, for me, honestly, I mean, Europe is, the continent on earth that is most ready for tech. We are very well regulated. We have a lot of standards in place. We have really high uh, ethical, moral, and many of the things we approach. So the, so, so the big question is basically to have the discussion, what were the roadblocks and how do we basically get rid of those so we can enhance what we have and the current framework that we have and how can we 
make sure that that is har further harmonized in in uh, across the different member states because they are very different implementations of this and it shouldn't be like that listen i mean it, it, that we are over that stage we can't afford that for in a new uh, pandemic so that would be my you know my first because that would allow us to take leadership and be much faster if this should happen again second of all uh would be to really look at the eu budget now and really i mean go for go straight to where where the money matters right i mean uh, give people uh, an opportunity to be upskilled so they i mean we have around 60 to 70 uh, million uh, europeans that's going to lose their job and uh, not due to ai but due to financial crisis of non-digital businesses primarily because that is where uh, the crisis has hit the hardest so how do we basically allow these people to move into the digital era and really do an upskilling huge upskilling pro uh, program for these uh, these workers allowing them to go into also new jobs that that will come uh, through this crisis and then of course research and development um we are looking at the data spaces also on health and manufacturing and other areas really really good idea to do that because it will create um, a lot of possibilities that we don't have uh, today but then also of, of course heavy development in research and development and, and applied i would say applied research and development because should this uh, happen again we don't have time to you know look 20 years ahead what's happening we also need to look at what we have now and really find out how to leverage those innovations into health into education uh, and other sectors that are key right now Okay, Lucila, we want R&D, we want uh, skills, and of course we want money. That <laughs> always, always the top uh, of one of the top things. But um, I'll come to you if you want to re re respond to, to this because, um, like for example, I have here Michael from Brussels who's working for a consultancy and who asks, you know, has this changed your policy? Um, priorities let's say has this has have have lessons that you've learned because of the pandemic led you to to reassess the the overall strategy and the choices that you're making and generally what are the commission's priority let's say moving forward after um covid-19 yes uh, i will not hide that during the peak times of the pandemic and i'm italian so and i'm actually from lombardy so i, I my family is in lombardy and I, i've been in brussels but i i lived a little bit the pandemic as if i was there as well um and i cannot hide that there were moments when i thought ah this regulatory framework that we said we would uh, propose on artificial intelligence is uh, superfluous it's not the right time uh, we have more important things to think about other than fundamental rights or these kind of things then um, when things started to calm down a little bit i started changing my mind first of all i noticed that in all the discussions about the apps for example the tracing apps the element of privacy was always the most important element uh, everybody was talking about and there have been countries who have not been able to introduce the app because they were not able to protect privacy sufficiently or they have and and this made me think well look it's it's not true that the fundamental rights and privacy is part of the fundamental rights that are not relevant just because we have an emergency period we should not let our way of thinking in moments of crisis influence the way we think in moments of peace and you know i live i'm in my 50s and i live most of my life 
actually until a few months ago in a moment of peace. So we should not let what happens during periods of, of crisis, which fortunately are, are limited in time, influence our thinking and the way we decide to conduct our life in the moments, in normal moments of peace, because that would be a mistake. So now, for example, that things have uh, significantly come down in terms of crisis, and we are rediscussing the regulatory framework for artificial intelligence, and we are discussing a lot with the European Parliament because the Parliament has been very active with a number of reports and also setting up a committee on artificial intelligence. Then we realize that, well, it's good now to be thinking as if we were in times of peace and, and we need to protect our fundamental rights exactly the same way that we were doing it before. Uh, maybe um, a, a regulation, a piece of legislation, maybe should always include a clause that says, well, look, in a moment of crisis, maybe certain obligations can be lifted. But it does not mean that you should not be producing certain kind of legislation or protecting certain rights only because this is an impediment at the time of a crisis. Another, another lesson I learned, in particular uh, with uh, the project on the AI CT scans, is that artificial intelligence applied to medical device is a very important issue. And you may have medical devices that have been CE marked, so you, you think because they're CE marked, they're safe, uh, but how is really artificial intelligence tested in, at the moment um, in the CE marking process? Is it tested like a software or are there specific ways of testing the robustness and accuracy of that particular artificial intelligence? So I think that there is some thinking we have to do in making sure that we know and the conformity bodies and, and certification processes take into account a certain way of assessing and certifying artificial intelligence, not like a normal software, but on the basis of the characteristics it has. And uh, I think it's, a, it's an important uh, point also because this would probably go hand in hand with uh, trying to facilitate this kind of certification processes exactly because in periods of crisis, you may have to go faster than, than in other moments. But this is just to say that this period of pandemic did not change my mind about what we were doing on artificial intelligence. I still think that we need to have a, a framework for trustworthy artificial intelligence. The high-level expert group to which uh, Cecile belongs will soon publish their assessment list, which will be, I think, a very important moment of awareness raising for everybody. And uh, we continue discussing. We just uh, close the public consultation. We have, as you said, uh, more than 1,200 um, respondents. We also have hundreds of written contributions that we're analyzing. Um, and uh, and uh, we will continue discussing. We have postponed the publication of the framework to the beginning of next year, simply because with the lockdown, we, were, we felt like we were not able to have a sufficient dialogue with the stakeholders. So uh, we will intensify this dialogue in the months to come, uh, including, of course, with the European Parliament, and then we will come forward with a proposal at the beginning of 2021. Great. Well, I, um, 
I think that the, the crisis situation has made us rethink things in general. Um, so it's only it's only reasonable that you would look at at the policy through a different perspective. But um, I, we have a lot of I, I have grouped all the Greek questions for you, um, George Petropoulos, and they all let's say center around. Um, okay, that's fine. We understand that artificial intelligence has many benefits, but do we have to give up some of our rights in order for it to produce uh, the the good results? Do we have to give up our rights to privacy? Do we have to um, do we have to ignore, let's say, ethical considerations? What are how do we deal with the inherent risks of abuse of these technologies when we? Um, especially from our perspective as policymakers, when we regulate them, how are people protected from the risks, and how are these ethical considerations taken into account, and how are, let's say, I'll, I'll add this as a, as another a Greek question: How do you protect and ensure that policy around artificial intelligence embodies fundamental values that we in Europe respect? Um, the oldest one of them being uh, democracy, for example. Great question. Um, I'm, I belong to the optimistic ones who believe that we can have both uh, great value from new technologies, but also uh, protect in adequate uh, the fundamental rights and uh, uh, assess all the potential risks uh, in a proper way. So the approach I believe we should follow is first of all to have a well-accepted validation method which assess which are really the valuable technologies, the ones that will improve society, will help us uh, in uh, various contexts. And when we are talking about artificial intelligence, since it is a general purpose technology, we are talking about multiple dimensions. So we need to have uh, a multi-layer uh, method in which focus all, all, not only on the general framework but also to the specific of these applications and the value they produce. And once we have that and we can assess that these technologies can bring value, we need to well design a governance structure which assess the risks. And let me give you some specific examples of risks and how they can be uh, addressed. For example, um, it is um, uh, well uh, mentioned about the possibility of algorithmic uh, systems uh, to create some bias, to create some discrimination, uh, even uh, discrimination that uh, reach, reaches the level that it is not acceptable according to human rights, like racial uh, discrimination. So uh, the issue is that uh, algorithmic systems, they use particular data as an input and they produce an output. And this is re repeatedly uh, done. So once you observe the output and you, uh, you see that the output suggests such a discrimination, the, the programmer what can do is to change the way that the input is counted by the algorithm. So there is always the potential to intervene and improve uh, the, uh, uh, how the algorithm works. Now, to do that and to have the incentives to do that, you need to have a proper enforcement uh, system around that that will give the incentive to programmer to follow, mo uh, to monitor closely how the algorithm in, 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 uh, works and improve it. Uh, another dimension is the transparency as already mentioned. And in terms of legal framework, um, for example, the privacy regulation 
uh, includes this right to explanation from machine generated uh, uh, data, uh, which is um, a wide application in data analytics, the data that used uh, by consumers and users. So uh, what we need there is to bring this framework uh, into uh, to provide uh, a practical meaning to this framework. How in practice can we ask to explain how the algorithm works? So we have the first step. So we need to be more pragmatic and more practical in this sense. Um, it was also mentioned the issues uh, uh, issues related to accountability, which is a very important topic um, with many different opinions. I'm, uh, I believe that uh, the publications of this issue by the high-level expert group so far move to the correct direction and the different um, important um, checkpoints uh, illustrated there. I'm looking forward for the next publication. So I believe it is a good avenue to explore and try again to use it as a basis to, uh, to derive some uh, implementable solutions. Last but not least, let me focus on privacy issues that they have already been um, uh, mentioned. Um, I mean, uh, indeed, um, there are contact tracing apps, especially the ones implemented in Asian countries like in China, raise a lot of concerns in terms of privacy uh, in relationship uh, uh, to our privacy regulation in Europe. But um, I don't believe that this is a trade-off which we need to, let's say, um, uh, stop there and uh, say either the one or the other. There are uh, applications that can be designed in privacy-friendly way. For example, applications that instead of geolocation data, they uh, use only data on proximity. Uh, applications that they use uh, specific um, uh, encryption so that uh, we don't learn the identity of the other person, but we all only learn the probability, the risk to be infected. So uh, the two issues I see in this dimension is, um, first of all, to have a clearer uh, European level guidance since the privacy regulation applied in a European level uh, on uh, these particular apps. I don't see why some particular applications can apply in one member state and not the other in terms of privacy. And the second is to, bet, to have a, a more European level involvement and coordination how these privacy uh, apps uh, can work cross-border. I download my app in Germany, can I use it in, uh, in Belgium? And I think, uh, I mean, the commission published some helpful guidelines, but we need some more uh, uh, involvement and coordination on making uh, these apps work cross-border since we are a single market, we travel a lot, and we need to be protected all the time. Having said that, technologies are there to help, but this pandemic crisis have some characteristics that uh, bring uh, AI to a secondary level in terms of uh, uh, preventing infection outcomes. Uh, the most important dimensions is uh, to, be, uh, to keep social distancing, to uh, keep the hygiene rules, uh, and of course, AI can help, but let's not expect everything from AI. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for, for these interesting, um, shedding some light on, on our, our effort to find a balance between regulation or a regulatory framework that allows, on the one hand, that protects us from these risks, um, that protects people's rights, and that fosters innovation and allows for um, industry to develop 
all of it, let's not forget, in a, let's say, geopolitical context, uh, which affects the decisions that are being made. Um, I'd like to thank you all for participating in this discussion and let you close with a very quick phrase on what you think the, um, the role of artificial intelligence is in the post-COVID-19 era. I would say that artificial intelligence is a key enabler to Europe's economic and financial recovery and to finding solutions for the health aspects of the COVID-19 crisis. George? Yes, I would underline two, uh, um, two different uh, dimensions. The one is that artificial intelligence can uh, help us in the post-COVID uh, to, uh, uh, to address the obstacles that this pandemic crisis and the nature uh, impose in our everyday life in uh, the best possible way. And uh, with this respect, it is something uh, very welcome that uh, provided that we take uh, uh, we, a, a framework which uh, risks are, uh, are uh, mitigated. Um, it's a framework in which AI should play a role and we should use it in order to continue to live our lives for the following months uh, in as normal as possible. Uh, the second dimension is um, AI can be also um, a, a key parameter for innovation in terms of European markets so that to recover uh, as uh, fast as possible from uh, the, this uh, great pandemic shock and uh, with uh, the appropriate policy uh, coordination, I hope that uh, we'll see uh, more and more um, uh, private initiatives, uh, private investments uh, that uh, point to the recovery phase. Cecilia? So, sorry for my headset not working. Uh, no, so, I mean, and I, I don't think I can find somebody who said it better than you, so I'll try to add on top of your, of your own comments of being a, one of the major enablers to get out of the crisis, and maybe also being actually one thing that teaches on how, like Jordan said, teaches us how to actually, um, pardon my French, but getting our act together in Europe on harmonizing how we actually do things across member states on data and on AI. This is on, uh, on, on I mean, this is on time um, uh, that the member states also push, I mean, and, and drive, you know, uh, the, the, the ability of the EU actually to, to actually harmonize this. And, uh, and second of all, I would say it is something, AI and data sciences, that any country and government with respect for themselves should actually teach in secondary school. Excellent. Okay, so let's well, close with you, with you, Dr. Scioli. <laughs> yes, in fact, uh, first, uh, before I, I make my conclusion on what I expect from AI in the future, I just want to go back to something that George said, which is on interoperability of apps. Uh, I just wanted to comfort him that the European Commission is working on a system with the member states on a system of interoperability of apps so that his German app can work while he's in France and the two apps can talk to each other and he can be solicited if in France he meets somebody who um, has been here or who is here. 
So don't worry about it. It will be soon working. Uh, we're still finding out, the, we're still fine-tuning the, uh, the last aspects of this, but uh, the Commission is working on this. And uh, what concerns the future, um, you, you said it, AI is an enabler of our economic recovery. And I hope, you know, that the Commission has put in place a significant recovery package. Um, some of the budget will go to member states to put in place uh, strategies or policies that can really help economic recovery. And I hope that these policies will include the strategies in artificial intelligence for the companies and also skills for artificial intelligence. I really think that if many in the medical professions or working in the administration of hospitals have a better understanding of what this technology means, that would have been much easier for bringing the technology into this particular field. Dr. Lucila Scioli, Director for Artificial Intelligence at uh, DG Connect for the European Commission, thank you very much. Cecilia Bonafeldal, Director General of Digital Europe, thank you very much. And Dr. George Petropoulos from Bruegel, fellow at Bruegel, thank you very much for this very interesting discussion. Stay safe, <laughs> stay healthy, and stay optimistic. And there we go. And stay digital. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.